Welcome to episode number 188, Emotional Entitlement and the One True Source. This last week I spent a great deal of time with my family and friends as my fourth son was married in the Atlanta Temple. Now I mention that because I feel that it's important to recognize that the Lord can make up the difference. I've suffered with mental illness in various forms and degrees most of my life, and for the last 15 years I've suffered with an autoimmune diseases that have restricted my capacity. My wife has also suffered with major depressive disorder since the birth of our sixth child, and yet our first five children have been married to wonderful individuals in the temples of the Lord. I certainly can't boast that my influence was a major contributing factor. My mortal weaknesses have hindered my ability to regularly be involved in their lives. And yet, somehow, along the way, the Lord has made up that difference. And it hasn't hindered their spiritual development. Now, I say that because it's important to understand that when the Lord gives us weakness, He makes up the difference for our children, family, and friends spiritually. When the Lord gives us responsibilities and weaknesses, He can certainly provide for the difference. When you suffer, that is important to understand. Now, this last week, I had an experience that led me to ponder Christ's experiences during the last 24 hours of His life. I simply marveled at his ability to avoid what I will call emotional entitlement. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. During the Last Supper, as Christ is teaching what would be his final sermons to his apostles, who would, in the next 48 hours, become his earthly leadership of his church, the disciples themselves began disputing about who was going to be the greatest. Nothing states how this argument began, but it led to a teaching moment and a good example of what we can call emotional entitlement. Why would the disciples even ask this question? Some might say that it had to do with traditions taught by the Pharisees, and I suppose that could be a part of how it started. The truth is is that each of the disciples at that moment in time were feeling what I, again, term emotional entitlement. They felt that they emotionally deserved to be treated in a certain way by their fellow disciples. This idea of who was greatest provided a method to indulge in this emotional weakness. The idea is that we feel we must be treated a certain way by particular individuals. We feel this so deeply that when they do not treat us appropriately, we become hurt and offended by their actions. And this creates emotional pain for us. Now, this hurt leads to even greater problems when we attempt to, of course, remedy our hurt emotions by returning offense or force or forcing some type of respect. The disciples were in this mode of sorting out their personal emotional weaknesses when the Savior interrupted their dispute and taught them an important principle. The principle was simple. Avoid emotional entitlement. In other words, you should not be concerned with how individuals treat you emotionally, but how you treat them. But in order to do this, we must come to the point of avoiding this type of entanglement. This type of entitlement comes when we turn our identity and our nature towards earthly values and ideals. For instance, if your employment is something that provides for your identity, your emotional fulfillment, When someone at work does not give you credit or seemingly attacks or gives constructive criticism of your work, you can become quickly defensive and return the criticism. 
When someone says something not quite right about your child, you can quickly take offense at the comment. Or when someone says something about the way you dress, your car, your home, your beliefs, you can quickly become defensive regarding those things which we, to which we identify. In other words, we have built emotional houses upon earthly sand. When individuals say disparaging things about our emotional house, we are quick to defend our entitlement to that house. However, as we look to the Savior's last 24 hours, we see that he never took offense at every injustice that could have been heaped upon him. He had an apostle betray him. His future leader and prophet, Peter, would deny him. His own people would cause him to be crucified over Gentiles that wanted to save his life. His trial was illegal from start to finish. The entire episode was a teaching moment against building these emotionally entitled fortresses. He could certainly have said, Don't you know who I am? I am the God that created this earth. I am your true king. And yet, he asked the Father to forgive Roman soldiers who nailed him to the cross rather than to condemn them. He did not take offense when the world's eyes in the world's eyes when he had every right to do so. The more I ponder this, the greater I marvel at his ability to see beyond his own feelings and to look to others. The really the real question as you look at Christ is how he did it. How did the Lord accomplish this feat and why was it so important to demonstrate it over and over again during his last 24 hours? And what is so wrong with being offended by another's actions when they should have acted more appropriately towards us? Why does this matter to those of us who suffer with mental illness? What is interesting about emotional entitlement is the house we build. When we feel entitled that others will treat us a certain way, we have built emotional walls that provide no structure or stability and will eventually provide for only emotional pain and suffering. When we build our emotional identity on anything but the Savior, those walls will be tested and they will eventually crumble to the earth, causing us deep pain. With that pain comes greater emotional distress and the need to rebuild walls. When we get into the process of building emotional walls based on earthly standards, we tend to get into the pattern of consistently rebuilding walls as others are crumbling. We can find ourselves always in distress and pain due to one wall or another that we feel is under attack. This can certainly add to an already burdened soul when you have mental and emotional illness. Individuals who suffer mental and emotional illness already feel as though every wall is crumbling. When those walls have built upon the sand of earthly ideals, it doesn't take much to cause them to completely fail. This is one reason why simple things, comments, a mean gesture, or a disparaging look may cause us deep distress. When we suffer with mental and emotional illness and our walls are built upon the Savior, we can better withstand those small insinuations that we are not good enough. I realize that when mental illness invade our lives, it can be far easier to look to the world for comfort than to our Father in Heaven. When we are distressed, we will look for anything that brings us needed relief, and often those sources are short-term, such as romantic relationships, work accomplishments, acceptance from other people and groups, seeking that our bodies be acceptable to our society or that we present a more perfected image to our religious communities. 
These types of comfort do cause us to feel accepted, included, and comforted, but they also bring with them a deeper danger. They are not built upon solid foundations that will remain. Every source I just mentioned can be easily removed from our lives, bringing down with it our emotional stability. What we need is a source of emotional stability that will not leave us wanting for structure and for strength. The source we choose for our emotional walls matters very much. For the Savior in his time of need, it was not his disciples, not the angel who came, not those on the other side of the veil, it was his Father. Yes, those other sources helped, and they did provide support and comfort, and he certainly used that support to, his, to its advantages. But if they had been removed, it would not have affected him in the sense that he f felt that he deserved the angel to strengthen him or his newly called apostle support. It is not as if he said, without the angel, I couldn't have finished the atonement, or perhaps even I wouldn't have finished the atonement because I deserved the angel. With his father's support, he could see others' failures towards him without being personally hurt by their actions. This is the key to avoiding the pains and sufferings of emotional entitlement. When we lean upon individuals, worldly ideas, and earthly standards, we will be disappointed. We will hurt and we will suffer. When we lean upon the Savior, He will never let us down. How do we know that we have these entitlements? Is that we are hurt by things that others do and say towards us. I know, that is hard to hear. I struggle daily with these types of emotional standards that I have built. It comes naturally to mortal beings and more naturally to one who suffers with mental and emotional illness. Because we suffer and seek relief, it is very easy to get caught in these entitlements and emotional supports of the world. When our entitle, entire emotional world feels as though it is failing, we really don't care what is holding up the walls. Any support will do in the moment. However, that short-term support will eventually cause us greater pain. So how do we accomplish it? How do we rebuild walls that will stand when the winds blow and the hail descends? First of all, we can't do it in a day. It takes time and effort to build our walls from the structural materials of the Lord. Second, we need to recognize our emotional entitlements by understanding how and when we are hurt. We need to see those walls that will crumble to the earth. Third, we need to seek outside ourselves and attempt to understand the why or attempt to understand the other person's actions. Most often people attack our emotional walls when they feel threatened themselves. We should understand that most individuals with whom we communicate on a daily basis have emotional entitlements and crumbling walls. As the Savior told his disciples, when we act as the servant rather than the king, we build walls rather than destroy them. Now, I realize that I just said that short-term walls of comfort are not going to last. While that is true, we can still be the angel of relief when needed. And that is true when we have mental illness. We don't have to do great things or serve in huge ways. Simple acts of service will be sufficient. When we look for ways to support others in their sufferings, we actually build walls of emotional stability for us. Yes, that seems entirely counterintuitive to spend energy helping another when we barely have energy to help ourselves. And yet, that is exactly what the Savior did in his last 24 hours. 
Even with his own physical body failing, he gave comfort to others as he could. He did so to the Roman soldiers who nailed him to the cross. He did so for his mother when he asked John to take care of her. He did so for Pilate and Herod as he did not condemn their actions. He did so for Peter when he told him beforehand that he would deny him. The Lord wanted Peter to know that he still loved him and that he would still be his apostle even after that terrible moment of the crowing of the cock. We build true emotional walls by helping others to build their own. When we are hurt by another, we should ask why we feel the way we do and why they acted as the way they did. Most often, when we attempt to see things from another's perspective, we avoid, we avoid these entitlements and entanglements, and we avoid the deep pain that comes with them. When we work towards this goal of entitlement avoidance, we will find greater healing and peace from our emotional illness and the suffering and pain that attends it. Our lives will be more inclined to healing, and the Lord will make up the difference in our lives. As we look to the last 24 hours of the Savior's life as an example in our own, I hope that we can find healing from our personal emotional entanglements and, and entitlements and overcome the hurt and pains that we feel. I know that the Lord cares for us very much and desires our healing. May we help him in his effort to heal us. Until next week, do your part so that the Lord can do his.